Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome back to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, we'll be covering Chapter 5 of Book 1, Air, The Spirit of Competition. The Fire Ferrets get romantically entangled during their first three pro-bending tournament matches. You know what we're talking about, Pabu. We're talking about real love. With your hosts, Matt, Dave, and Devendra. Hello, thanks again for joining us for Republic City Dispatch. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm joined once once again by Dave. Hello. And Davindra Hardawar. Hello, hello. And we are back with another uh, combination of rainbows and sunsets to make you um, fall in love with us. So yeah. Real love. <laughs> that is, that's what real love is. Um, and yeah, that's what we're talking about today because, boy, this was relationships abound in today's episode um, or yesterday's episode, whenever you're listening to this. Um, but Dave, why don't you kick us off with a summary of what happened Yes. <clears throat> All right. So Korra has been skipping out on Tarlock's task force to practice with the fire ferrets for the impending pro bending tournament that they got money for in the past episodes. Uh, the love triangle is now in full swing, and that love triangle is Mako, Bolin, and Korra. So Mako and Bolin discuss Korra, and Mako can't decide if she he likes Asami or Korra more. And Bolin is 100% Korra all the way, thinks they're perfect for each other, decides to ask her out. Um, meanwhile, on Air Temple Island, we learn that Pima, Tenzen's wife, was a home wrecker, and she tells Cora <laughs> to tell Mako how she feels. That's one way to put it, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, that's the less romantic way to put it. Um, in the first pro-bending match, the Fire Ferrets make quick work of the all-female team, the Red Sand Rabaroos. Uh, but after Cora sort of fumbles telling Mako how she feels, and Mako rejects her, Bolin asks her out, and she says yes, and they go to get noodles and drinks uh, where they run into Tano, the leader of the running champion pro-bending team, the Wolf Bats. Um, there's a little skirmish there. Then the Fire Ferrets play the Porcupines, and Korra and Mako are out of sync, uh, but they're saved by Bolin, who's super happy because his date with Korra went well uh, in the tiebreaker. And then uh, Korra kisses Mako, and Bolin sees, so everyone's mad, and Bolin gets super depressed. <laughs> uh, and the next day, Mako finds Bolin in the noodle shop and drags him to the next round against the Buzzard Wasps. And uh, the team is incapable of working together, and they're barely saved by Korra's air training at the last second. Uh, Bolin and Mako sort of rekindle their respect for each other by being like, girls, seriously, and everyone's okay with that. Everyone apologizes to everybody else and acknowledges that feelings are complex. Hugs. And, yep, and even Korra, you know, comes to respect Asami a little bit more. And then with the, we go out on a bit of foreshadowing when we learn that the Fire Ferrets are going to the finals against Tano and the Brutal Wolf Bats next week. Lots of lots of hugging it out and crossed lovers and oh man, it took me back to my high school days in a horrible horrible way. But um, guys, anything that stood out in this episode to you? I mean, I, I really dug. We we almost got the whole triangle in one big episode, which I was surprised sure. about. I really thought that we were going to see this kind of dividing relationship problem between Mako and Bolin kind of stretched over some episodes. But again, this show just proves itself in like being uh, accommodating so much story and so much character into one episode. And really, you know, I was scared last episode about the amount of episodes we're going to have, but they're really mm -hmm. just packing so much in and doing it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really uh, wise to use the bracket uh, system to show the different ways that the fire ferrets interact with each other. So, like, each time they do a new round, the relationship dynamic is different. So, right. I mean, I'm not necessarily way into that romantic relationship part, but I recognize that it needs to be service. And I think it was really good to structure it in a way where it's like, okay, we're going to get a scene where they all get along. And then we're going to see how that affects the team. And then we're going to see where two of them are fighting and how that affects the team. And then they're all fighting and how that affects the team. 
And, you know, it was very st- it was a very structured way to write the episode and to deal with it. But it uh, gave it a sort of internal logic that worked for me um, and kept me going despite the lots of uh, burping contests and weird stares at each other. Which were awesome. The burping contest was awesome. Dave, but, yeah, and we, oh. yeah, we've talked about how the series is kind of just moving quickly. I was worried that we were going to get something like this whole relationship thing that would last way too long and get really annoying. Um, but it's kind of smart and great that they just encapsulated it all within an episode. Now we can move forward with the stuff we really care about. Dave, I can't believe you don't like the romance that much. <laughs> um, I mean, I enjoy it because you get a lot of, um, I guess, good comedy out of Bolin. And mm-hmm. I like that they're treating him as sort of an innocent and Mako is sort of like the complex teen that lives in the real world. I mean, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, it's, it's hard for me to sympathize with Mako because I think he kind of is in a position where he has to say some stuff in order to get other characters to bounce off of each other. Not necessarily because it's 100% in his character to say that. Um, but other than that, I really enjoyed uh, the two, to, the one-on-one scenes between the entire love triangle are great. Um, I just can't, I can't get 100% behind Mako's feelings of just like, <laughs> oh, I, I could have all the women. <laughs> but I mean, isn't that, what I love about that is that it's realistic. I feel like it's a very realistic portrayal of how confusing being young and trying to have relationships and love and emotion is. Um, you know, Cora is stuck in this place that there are no easy decisions, and it's painted very accurately to me. Yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's. I also think it comes really accurately from Cora's side. I mean, I'm not a young woman, but I could picture but you act like one. Uh, yeah, and and because <laughs> of that, I'm very confused in matters of romance. And Cora takes, you know, she goes on a date with Bolin because Bolin gives her this long string of compliments, which I think is the first time that anyone's acknowledged that Cora is pretty out loud um, in the actual series. And then. So she kind of goes with him, and then she gets this advice to tell Mako how she feels, and she tries, but, like, flubs that, and then, like, tries to force a kiss and flubs that. And it's nice to see, uh, you know, a woman, even though she's the Avatar and, like, should be powerful, but, like, she's being as active as she can be. It's just not working out because Mako is kind of as confused as she is. Yeah, <laughs> that's in direct contention, I think, to a lot of stereotypes and simple ways of storytelling for female romance. And I think that this this episode did a really good job of making her complex or continuing to make her complex, even in this more intimate setting. You know, she's yeah. not fighting a giant battle. She's fighting her relationship problems, but she's that, still doing it why, in with the same dimensionality. For sure. That's why I really like the, the random Bolin stuff, too, like the burping contest, because that's that's not a ladylike thing to do. I do like how the series is constantly changing, you know, what our assumptions should be for mm-hmm. a female lead character. And uh, it's just a lot of fun to see, although it was a bit jarring, I guess, after the uh, dramatic tension and the terrifying nature of the last episode. (laughs) It's a weird jumping off from there. But don't you think they needed that break from the heavy stuff? I mean, I feel like we've been kind of pounded for four episodes with this foreboding, terrifying prospect of what Mm -hmm. Kor is about to enter. She needs to get past this relationship stuff to be able to conquer. And, you know, I just I just watched um, a few episodes of the last series, Airbender, um, specifically the episode where um, Aang begins to conquer the chakras. Is mm-hmm. that, am I pronouncing yeah. that correctly, Dave? Yes. Um, and, you know, one of them is love and trying to figure that out and kind of let the spirit flow. Um, and I feel like, and I don't know if this is true or not, that the episodes are kind of tackling each of these chakras for Korra. 
without overtly stating like, hmm. okay, this is the episode where you conquer love and this is the episode where you let go of your fears. She's doing that in every episode. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about building up to the Avatar state, and I think this episode fits in perfectly to that. Oh, that's actually a good point. Someone mm-hmm. brought up earlier that the fear chakra is like the earth chakra and is where Aang, Aang started. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but someone brought that up that to me, and I remember thinking... One. That was the right. first thing he conquered, technically. Good. So we're, we're definitely, if we are doing that progression, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't, I, I've been going back and trying to rewatch the episodes, like, in bulk. Yeah after each one just to see how it's flowing together as a full narrative and this one is a little choppy coming out of the last one because it's like Tenzin's holding Korra and everyone's having a sad moment where Korra's afraid and then it immediately goes into like and we're practicing what? for the probe ending but he tells her to go back he tells her he, he she needs to invest in the things that she really loves and that's probe ending yeah, but I mean, the first visual that's like really noteworthy of this episode is the huddle where they sum up the love triangle oh God, with like that. knowing glasses, glances, and it's just a completely different place than where we left Korra. And I mean, I don't. It mm-hmm. it felt jarring. Um, I think it's gonna come back. I think knowing what I know about the next episode, you know, it has consequences that you can't just right. leave him on off to do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna come back for you, would and you, you know. Would you have preferred an appearance by Amon in this episode? Well, I mean, there's the teaser of this season on Korra that's been officially released only includes footage up through the next episode, and the winner is. So we know that Mon shows up at the Pro Bending Championships, and we also know some spoilerish stuff about what happens there, just from actual like footage that's been released. But I can see, like once again, uh, that the show is taking its time to build Korra into her next place, so that mm-hmm. she is a different emotional person next time she sees Amon. And so each time they face off, she has to be a different person. I don't think this is the point where Amon has to come and, you know, take down Korra. I think this is much more, um, I should go with the Batman analogy. This is going <laughs> to be the Bane blowing up the football stadium of the... Uh, well, I think we kind of discussed that in our first episode, just kind mm-hmm. of ending like pro-bending is such a big deal. It's such a big deal to Korra that I feel like Amon has to make his big move at a pro-bending match. And obviously the finals are a perfect way to do that. Yeah, For sure. I mean, that, that's a way to rally the people who are for benders, too, right. and who enjoy benders and who don't feel oppressed by them. So it'll be really interesting to see. Um, and another thing that I thought was just really interesting about this episode was that uh, in typical anime series, uh, there are occasionally episodes like this where you just go completely off the main story. You forget about the villains and you kind of just have fun with the characters. Um, and those episodes can be just fun and silly and kind of out there. This one has a little more substance than most. Um, I'm thinking of things like Evangelion where they just like go to the to the spa and it's all fan service and it's just <laughs> fun people hanging out. But uh, even in that one, they kind of tied in a main villain point and plot point. So I guess here, like they, they definitely just focused on the romance to get it out of the way. And it is funny how much like changes between the beginning and the end of the episode. Yeah. Well, we have Tano as well, who's a new <laughs> uh, force. Uh, he doesn't have a bright future ahead of him i don't think um but he, it's, he's the despicable guy that i could see totally being uh kicked <laughs> in the butt by amon if he shows up at the pro bending uh, yes i'm putting my finger on my nose but you can't see because it's internet radio <laughs> um but to go back to patch's thing about the chakras um how much does the actual what happens in each round of pro bending uh mirror the story it's like because huh. we know at the end she uses, you know, she becomes the leaf to win the match. And is that literally her 
throwing her like love angst out the window and like through a workout? Like, did we see her train through the love chakra? Is that what the episode was really about? Wait, in this episode? Yeah, I thought she did the the wind thing at the end of the first, at the end of the second episode. I'm sorry. I mean, she did, she, but in this they, one, she like catapults a giant blast of water. Well, I mean, that's the offensive thing, right. but the announcer very specifically says that, you know, as Mako and Bolin are having this, you know, conversation, like, girls, seriously, the announcer is saying, you know, she's dodging right. every element the wasps throw at her, you know, and you, we get to see her doing spins through the air, and I think it's implied that, you know, yeah. that's the being the leaf. She's having a breakthrough. Sure. And so is that, you know, is it actually the training? Are we done with the love chakra? Well, that I, I that would be a very interesting and subtle way of getting through this because what we haven't seen too much is Korra training to become the Avatar, which is fascinating to me because in the first two episodes that was a real push. It's like you got to get in touch with your spiritual side, and we have to train you. And Tenzin, you know, Tenzin hasn't really been a big part of the Korra storyline. Mm-hmm. He's popped in and out, um, but I'm wondering. If they're holding that, or I assume, I'm starting to assume that the end of this series may end up with Korra hitting the Avatar state in some capacity, mm-hmm. or or learning what her big, big problem is going to be, her big conflict that she's going to have to right. confront in season two. But like, I am surprised that Tenzin hasn't been there more, but maybe we are seeing her training, and he I knows think, I think, yeah, that makes sense. Like, when uh, the episode, when, I think, what, the end of the second episode, when Tenzin just kind of... Uh, admitted that she kind of needs this and this seems to be the best way for her to train yeah. we're seeing her just learn more about herself and her abilities through pro bending and not through traditional training I think this is a good time to bring up our email from Michael <laughs> who says hello I noticed in your recent podcast about the Legend of Korra episode 4 which was fantastic by the way thank you that the host mentioned twice how the events would have to speed along greatly if we were to complete the series story arc within the short 12 episode season now I'm not sure if you already knew this but there is to be a second season next year spanning 14 episodes which will conclude the Legend of Korra we will probably get a big cliffhanger this season finale but the overarching storyline does not need to be concluded as quickly as it seemed to be implied during your group's discussion I think that being aware of this may help you think about how the events could be allowed more time to unfold and looked at in deeper detail rather than discussing it as if there are only eight episodes left before the conclusion keep up the great work can't wait for the next podcast well michael you're on the next podcast um surprise i think think this is interesting because yes we are aware there's a second book but i'm not sure when that was greenlit in comparison to this miniseries and uh, we're also dealing with a series that you know let us hang and still letting us hang on zuko's mother from the previous series so I don't know how much this is locking us into questions that are going to be answered. I mean, it's worth considering, right, that we have a whole other book to go through. And I, I think what you're saying, Patch, is about her reaching the Avatar state or her reaching some sort of fundamental breaking point at the end of the season. That seems more likely. And then hopefully wrap up all the Amon stuff and everything in the next season. Or by then, maybe Amon will finally be working with Korra in some capacity, and we'll see what's going on in the spirit world. Yeah. I, I do think that there's, like, another narrative that's been kind of – they've been weaving in, and I'm anxious to see how much time will be eventually dedicated to that, whether it's going to be this season or the next book. You know, with all the the flashback stuff that we saw in the last episode, the kind of hints at Tenzin's past um, and his previous romances and what that's involved, I wonder how <laughs> much time is going to be dedicated to what happened before Korra. Do you think that there will be a chunk of time because of how much – 
how, how sparse they've been with telling the story, how quickly they've been moving, and how much time they actually have to do it. I, I think they owe it to us to explain what happened 40-some years ago because yeah. they brought that up. But I think that's almost it. Like, we keep thinking that we're going to figure out, you know, what happened to Kyoshi Warriors entirely. And, like, we're, we're losing that as we're going on. And it's not making me sad. It's just I don't necessarily need to know anymore because this thing keeps getting more complex as it's moving forward in time that I'm not as interested in the backwards. Mm-hmm. They're ded- they're dedicated to telling the story that they are, and I I approve of that. Yeah, I mean, I think also think it'd be interesting to only t- bring up the old series when you have an additional emotional layer to put on it. Hmm. So, like this episode has the scene where she's talking to Icky and Jinora about the relationship, and I sort of took that as. Korra talking to the legend of Avatar and the legend of Korra is like what do you think about love and the legend of Avatar is like we're on a quest my girlfriend became the moon I'm gonna take (laughs) a dragon and burn down a whole city and like clouds and you know all these like the way that Aang and Katara saw love and Sokka saw love because they were younger people and Mm -hmm. in a much bigger world whereas Korra is going through this teenage thing in the city and she's looking for real world solutions and that's what the legend of Korra is willing to provide us where the first one is like you know we're gonna make UA the moon and you're gonna put up with that because that's this universe (laughs) I think that if they do go back to the original series it'll have to be to bring an adult theme to something that we saw in the original theory series Mm -hmm. so it's like you know Adult Toph and Adult Aang and Adult Sokka are interesting because they're making more adult decisions trying to keep this city together. And that would be a reason to revisit it in Korra, not just to go back and, you know, so we know what happened to Toph or we know what happened to Sokka. If there's not not something to add to it, then you might as well save it for the comic or a short story or... No fan service. (laughs) We've learned that the hard way in um, big big screen comic book adaptations. Fan service (laughs) is terrible. Even though well, it, it can be good, but it has to be in service of the story, right? And I don't think they're ever going to give us fan service just for the sake of it being fan service. Um, I am I'm expecting, like, given the way these structures are being laid, uh, these episodes are being structured, is that we'll get one episode that's mostly set in the past yeah. or something, like something to just kind of lay out the groundwork for that big mystery, and then we'll move on from there. At least I'm hoping that's that's what's going to happen there. Which is why I don't think um, the Cabbage Man is Amon. <laughs> That's, I just want to put that theory to rest. Although he may be the Yellow Hat Man or whatever, some descendant. Of yeah. Him. Oh, I forgot to look for the Yellow Hat Man. Dave, I know you've been tracking him. <laughs> I, I, have, I did not look for the Yellow Hat Man in this series, but I guess that gives me something to do today. He, he's like the, the Watcher in Fringe, or is that what it, they're called? The Watcher? Yeah, yeah the I Watchers. So. Yeah. Or I hope he's not like the Watcher in Fringe. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, Dave, I know you are a huge pro-bending fan, and I feel like the whole time I was watching this episode, I'm like, Dave's loving this. Yes, I mean, there's the yellow fan, uh, there's unnecessary roughing, which tie we didn't breaker. know existed. There's a tiebreaker, which is amazing because it's sumo wrestling. Like, mm-hmm. there's a grapple feature in the... There's no grapple feature in the rest of pro-bending. And even in the video, we saw that the tiebreaker is something new that I did not see coming. So I'm surprised how much... I mean... It's interesting to me that immediately by adding a sportscaster, you just add so much more depth because he's talking in this other language. Like, if you ever listen to a baseball game being called, uh, you know, it's like half conversation and half, like, technical language. And it, the world's already built out so much that it just feels real and full. And It even had uh, product placement. The game was sponsored by yeah. Noodles. 
Hell yeah, it's sponsored by Noodles. And we got to actually see the announcer, and his name is Shiro Shinobi. <laughs> so there we go, you guys. Hope it is. Oh, it better be Shiro Shinobi, or it's, someone's going to lynch me. Um, but again, like I think we've been praising Out the Wazoo, the action in this. Um, in, in the series, the new series, but this pro bending stuff is just like exceptional, you know, in a way I can't describe it. And Dave, you actually thought it was kind of different than some of the other stuff we've seen. Yeah. I mean, I think this episode really fell back a little bit more on traditional anime directing in terms of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, just in the way the action was shown in comparison to something like uh, Leaf in the Wind or The Voice in the Night, where you have a lot of CG backgrounds and like full rotations. And, you know, the cheap blockers, you get to see, like, every punch they make. Uh, the pro bending matches took a more traditional, you know, like, let's show us the highlights. Let's do some speed ramping. Let's have some blurred backgrounds. And uh, even sometimes, like, the dialogue, uh, I don't know if it was really distracting to you guys. But when Cora says, I thought I had a shot and I took it. Um, for some reason, the lip sync is on every third frame instead of every second frame. Oh, did not pick that, that up. Come on, Dave. Did not I'm, pick that up. It was in the teaser. I've been looking at it for a week and being like, <laughs> I hope that's not in the actual episode. And then it was. And Aww. I mean, from somebody that you know doesn't watch as much East, uh, Eastern uh, animation as I do Western animation because that's like my job, um, it was really interesting to me how this episode was like Eastern style, Eastern style, Eastern style, punchline in Western style. Eastern style, Eastern style, mm-hmm. Bolin says something in a Western style, you know, and it's just like only the humor was elevated out with these camera angles or, uh, you know, very fluid animation that would be more Western, but everything else sort of took this anime action direction point. And stylistically, it's very different after, you know, the voice in the night, which was all about shadows and camera movement yeah. and twisting. But I mean, it's interesting because it shows that each episode can be stylistically tinged to talk about what it needs to talk about, which was encouraging. I just didn't like this one style as much as I liked The Voice in the Night. Yeah, sure. I do think I, it's very anime. Mm-hmm. It's especially even when like um, there's another announcer guy who says, you know, round two goes to uh, the fire ferrets and that I feel like his framing and sticking out to it extending his arm is like such an anime move in particular <laughs> like oh two yeah or they it, show his fingerprint and it's a spiral yeah a i love spiral. it i love it <laughs> i mean it makes sense to a degree too this may be one of those episodes where it's just cheaper to produce so we may see some, some of the more like traditional anime tactics to kind of lower the budget and uh yeah they didn't need too much cg this time around save that stuff for the episodes where you need the crazy camera angles and the 360 right. degree spins around action and everything although that i makes thought, a lot of sense. i thought of you yeah. davindra when i saw the introduction of um tano and his wolf bats gang because i think i feel like yeah. tano looks like every evil final fantasy uh, villain I've ever played in a video game. Or, I don't know. I thought of you with your expert knowledge of anime. Like, what does he remind you of? <laughs> he, he has the pointy face and the weird hair, and that's yeah. how you, he's gonna be a bad guy. He's perfect. He's yeah. He's an exceptionally evil anime <laughs> character, and I love Indeed. it. Indeed. Yeah, I'm we gonna... didn't talk enough about Bolin in this episode. Let me let me give him some shout outs because yes. this episode is great for Bolin fans. I love the moment where he where he sees Koramako kissing that great. Uh, crying scene of scrunch him is, like scrunching his face up and going into tears. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hilarious. It's supposed to be sad, but it's also hilarious because he's just. He, I think the actor does a good job of like showing off this guy's naivety, or and uh, like it's also uh, what the the getting drunk on noodles thing. Yeah, right. 
was a lot of fun. And Fat Pabu. Come on. But man, I love Pabu's just reaction shots to everything Bolin does. <laughs> From talking about love, Pabu, to like during that crying scene, Pabu like is looking at the kiss. Then he looks at Bolin. Then he looks at the kiss. Then he looks back to Bolin. And then Bolin cracks. And I'm like, oh, Pabu. Pabu's just like that silent friend that's right. just up for anything. What's amazing <laughs> about Pabu is that he's actually less expressive than Appa or um, Momo. Momo. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. he just has one face, and it's perfect, and it's perfectly timed every time, and that's all the animators and and the direction in the show. I just think it's brilliant. And Devendra, I also wanted to say that Bolin, the actor uh, P.J. Byrne, we were talking before how he's a comedic actor. He's done like horrible bosses and some other movies, and he's just like a really funny guy. And I think in this episode especially, I saw him riffing more. It seems like they got him in the mm-hmm. the booth, and he's just talking. He's just saying hilarious things, and they make it into the show. Like when he's talking to Pabu, and he's talking about like real love, and he's stretching Pabu's face. Or I, I just thought there were so many timed moments here, and that really exceptional vocal performance on his part. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It actually reminded me, I've been uh, watching, uh, rewatching Bob's Burgers, which is the new like Loren Bouchard show on uh, on Fox, and uh, that show's amazing because that that guy series always has a lot of great improv elements to it, and I definitely felt some of that here. Oh man, now you're you're making me want John Benjamin to come oh, guest no. star on Legend of Korra. <laughs> He's actually Amon. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Ar- and Archer. just like a yeah, Ar- exactly. a long. A long uh, a long stilted monologue about about his motivations <laughs> at the end would be hilarious. Um, I guess we have a couple of other fan comments uh, that are sort of entertaining that I yanked from the Tumblr, which is another benefit of having uh, an additional day here. Uh, Inca's Rain uh, from Tumblr says an almost limerick to celebrate a rather rather madcap episode. <clears throat> Everyone's terribly whiny, and Tano is weirdly eyeliny. Plus, his hair needs the clippers. I bet it's got shippers. I'm just glad my teens are behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying, but exceptionally done. And then uh, one from Fan Dakota is so random. That's her Tumblr name. So Cora is a healer that's going to ruffle a few feathers in the fandom. I don't know why, but it will. But I didn't think she'll be using it that much. I mean, Qatar didn't overly use it. Also, people keep mm-hmm. bringing up bloodbending. But the problem about it came back is that only two people know how to do it and I don't think Katara would have taught it to anybody. Also, yeah. imagine how different the show would be if Korra had come from the Foggy Swamp tribe. Oh, man, swamp bending. That's just like something we don't... <laughs> I, I'm not sure how much talking about different specialized form of water bending is going to be <laughs> useful now that we know Korra is a healer. Well, Korra's I, a healer. I do think that's cool. Like, I, I like that they just casually bring it up. She's like, oh, hey, I also heal. I just want to let you know. And she just does it. Yeah. Well, yeah. that goes back to what the first episode when Bolin first meets her and she's like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a water tribe. And he's like, oh, oh and didn't want to assume. But uh, I, I feel like a lot of the Southern water tribe were healers, right? Um, I mean, it depends. It's definitely a specialized art, but it sounds like Katara is running around, you know, mm-hmm. making that beneficial for everybody to learn. And apparently she's the best. And who would doubt that? Obviously, Katara is <laughs> the best. So, um, yeah. And then I, I don't think... Oh, I want to table bloodbending until we figure out if we're ever going to visit a hospital or not. I mean, I think it has to take place at the full moon and maybe rules have changed, but I really don't think we're going to deal with bloodbending <laughs> in the traditional narrative, guys. It's too dark. Um, we already have chi blocking and a dude in a mask. so let's... <laughs> It is a little crazy, even for uh, for airbender stuff. And it, it's it's terrifying. I don't know. Maybe it could make a re-entrance later. Maybe that's the conceit of <laughs> some evil well, character, uh, but... 
Yeah, I mean, Tarlock's might be pulling him on strings because Tarlock's bunbedding a poor faceless dude. I mean, I wouldn't put that past the series, but I don't. I think it's too far out for us to be predicting that. Right. I also just wanted to comment um, in response to lots of response from last week's episode where I claimed that Korra might not be the Avatar. Um, I'm probably wrong. Let's be honest. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm glad that people didn't seem that upset about it. But I'm, I'm starting to think that, no, it would be really, they'd be really pulling the carpet from under our feet if Korra wasn't the Avatar. It's still possible, mm-hmm. though. I haven't seen I'm- anything that really puts it uh, on the kibosh. I would be more interested if they let her be the Avatar and the next book is about how she wasn't really the Avatar. Wait, what do you mean? Like, I think that, you know, this season arc, like you're saying, I'm now going to jump on your chakra unlocking episode by episode theory because I think it's awesome. And that uh, I think that she gets to be, you know, mature to be the avatar here. And then whatever her battle with the spirit world or whatever the next obstacle is, I wouldn't mind if that defines a little bit more mm-hmm. of what the I think the avatar has changed. What the avatar is has changed. I mean, because mm-hmm. Korra is the first avatar in over a hundred years because Aang was frozen for so long. So it's something about it, what it means to be the avatar in society has changed because of this city. And we're going to have to figure out what that is. You know, I'm going to bring up Buffy again because they could potentially go the route of like actually having Amon take away her powers and right. Will that trigger a new avatar somewhere down the line? And I wonder if it doesn't even have to be a child. What if it's somebody who already exists you know, who all of a sudden becomes the Avatar or something. Um, I, I mean, uh, I, I want to shoot that down because the Avatar, being the Avatar has a lot to do with being reincarnated and being oh, the yeah, same that's person. Tr- that's very true. So, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think, but, uh, you, know, you know. like with rules changing, who knows? Like it, the, the way it worked in Buffy, right? How she, spoilers for Buffy, but she died temporarily and that kind of tr- triggered other uh, slayers to come through yeah um, there is something there like you could definitely do something with that sort of plot line but do you think knows? they'll bring up you know i was having rewatched uh, a bit of airbender the original series mm-hmm. you know there's this episode where they talk about the avatar if you die in the avatar state the lineage is over and that sort of thing do you think oh yeah do you think yeah. that will ever come into play and i'm trying to i was trying to figure out like this seems like a great thing that didn't really get executed or or elaborated upon in the original series, a kind of like this mm-hmm. bomb of information that was uh, dropped. I think that that's Amon's plan, is to get Korra to the point where she's in the Avatar state, and that's when it's most... That's when you end bending, is when you take away her bending in the Avatar state. But how would he know that? Now we're I mean, how does a, he know anything that he knows? Well, if, if he is in communication with the spirit world, like we've suggested, mm-hmm. then spirits can tell him that kind of stuff. Like, I think that's we're, how, we're making that's some how... good plays here for the end of the uh, this season. I know. this, this is the, We're describing the cliffhanger without knowing pretty much anything. <laughs> uh, I hope we're completely wrong because I can't wait to be surprised by that. But um, I think that about wraps us up. Dave, did, Devendra, sure. did you have anything else that you uh, – little things that you wanted to throw out there? Fat Pabu forever. Uh, I also love the Eskimo kiss that uh, Mako oh. and Asami share. Because they can't it's... show a real kiss in a kid's show, I guess. What? Yes, they can. They absolutely. They, they show they one in this can, episode. But I feel like for this <laughs> for this sort of series, like we haven't seen two characters actually kiss yet. What are you talking? No, no, Korra no. Kisses Korra Mako kiss... in this yeah. episode. Oh yes, yes, that's true. I guess you can't. They can't kiss to make that kiss a bigger deal. I think yeah, I think that was the big thing. But uh it it definitely seemed like they were trying to I don't know, diminish the romantic aspect 
of Mako oh, yeah. and his mystery girl. So <laughs> I think Asami's going to end up being evil, and so we just can't invest too much in that relationship. Also, so it, on- yeah. it only exists to be opposite. The Eskimo kiss is the most revolting thing anyone can do in front of other <laughs> two other people. It is the worst. It is the absolute worst. Indeed. And the Koromako kiss, that's the first kiss of the whole series that we've seen so far, right? I believe Like, not so. just between her, but between any characters. Yep. I haven't seen so I any Tenzin, yeah. Tenzin love. <laughs> Tenzin panel no, love. Not um, yet. And I believe Red Sand Sandaroons might be the most confusing, difficult to understand. Oh, you just name. mispronounced it. Oh. It is uh, the Red Sand Rabaroos. Oh, no. <laughs> they are rabbit and kangaroos. Oh, see, that's what I'm... And then porcupines, which are boars and porcupines, and wolf bats, which are obviously wolf bats. I prefer uh, the bear from Bossing Say. Just a bear. Just a bear. Just a, just just a, a bear. bear. Can we go back to that? Well, I mean, but that was that seemed like an oddity, which was it great. was no it's one. Like no a, one knew. <laughs> some someone like happens across a dog and it changes the world. Would be great. Awesome. Well, I guess that about wraps things up for this episode of the uh, Republic City Dispatch. Why don't we sign off here, Dave? Next week we have, and the winner is it's Saturday, May twelfth at eleven a.m. on Nickelodeon. Amon's mm. going to attack the Pro Bending Championship. Uh, so get ready for that. Um, <laughs> and we'll probably I, do this Sunday again, I think. We'll go live on Sunday. In, next unless week. we get, you know, lynched for our 24-hour delay <laughs> exactly. this week. People will uh, stone us. Yeah, I'm uh, Dave with a 7. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E or uh, my weekly podcast that I do with Matt Patches at opkino.com. Cool. And you can find me at uh, Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about technology at venturebeat.com and I podcast about movies, TV, and other fun stuff at uh, the Slash Filmcast at slashfilm.com. And I'm Matt Patches. I'm the movies editor of Hollywood.com, so you can find my musings there. I do the podcast with Dave, Operation Kino, which is also on iTunes. Uh, And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Patches, P-A-T-C-H-E-S. And until next week... uh, Drop by the Tumblr. Yes. Go to RepublicCityDispatch.com and uh, send us questions and inquiries and comments and theories and... They all get responded to, sort of, kind of, maybe, in one way or another. We read them all. That's the guarantee. (laughs) Everything, we will acknowledge that you exist. Exactly. We'll put them into the scrolls, into our our library under the sand. But um, until next week, we will talk to you later. Hey, Mako. Hey, Mako.